Chris, welcome to episode 232 of X Laughs, and it is a most wonderful day because it is a Way of X day. That's the good news. Um, we do have a little bit of not so good news in that, uh, you know, last week we started off with Children of the Atom, and that was a surprise penultimate issue. Well, it turns out that uh, Way of X number four might just be a surprise penultimate issue to one of uh, one of the show's favorite series. Looks like issue five will be the end of it. Uh, not the end of the story, but the end of this volume. Uh, from there, we get the one-shot uh, onslaught uh, special, and from there, who knows? Hopefully, there's something on the horizon for uh, for Spurrier, Quinn, Nightcrawler, Legion, and uh, Nemesis, and the rest. But uh, I guess we will uh, worry about that well from now until we hear otherwise. <laughs> so uh, let's get into today's book here. This is Way of X number four, September 2021, cover date. Story's called Airs and Graces, written by Cy Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. Color, Zava Tartaglia. Letters, VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, head of X, Fernal Hickman. Edits, Andrew, Andrews Belasteros, Thomas White, and Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale July 14th of 2021. Now, we open with an info page... Well, actually, it's two info pages squeezed into one. Wow. Great use of uh, paginal real estate, as we call it here, which saves us from losing two entire pages of this wonderful story. So, really, really good stuff. Now, up top, we get a map of the Tharsis Highlands in Araco, Mars. And we see that there's, there's a Cohen gate there called the Outcast Gate. I feel like in any other book, this would have been an entire page. But here, it's only the top half. Down below, we get a quote from the Book of Redacted. And uh, in it, we hear of expansion, which makes sense, considering the uh, mutants expanding onto uh, you know entire other planets at this point. Now, the story begins with a... Well, it's a tale told as a, an illustrated story. Not so much sequential art, but uh, a story that has been illustrated. Now, it's the story of a girl who was wronged and is looking for revenge. Only the elders of her people won't allow her to go get it. Now, this story is being told to us by our new nauseating friend, Lost. And uh, by nauseating, that's not a, an indictment on her character, but her actual power set, which, you know, makes people nauseous, right? Um, anyway, I think we can safely assume here that uh, the girl in the story is supposed to represent her, and the baddie in her story is likely supposed to represent Fabian Cortez. Now, if you remember, she kind of went nuts on him last issue over at Stacey X's orphanage slash brothel. 
Now, she's telling the story to Nightcrawler and Legion, who are flanked by Zorn and Zorn, for reasons that'll become apparent a bit later on. Oh, and uh, they are on Mars currently, because uh, the different levels of gravity there make it easier for Lost not to make everybody sick. And uh, it looks like she's got a bit of a problem with the hand-to-eye-to-pressure coordination, because she almost squished a wee baby over at Stacy's place. Worth noting, Lost actually speaks here in, like, full sentences... Like, she narrates this entire story and is telling it in, in ways that actually make sense. And that, that's interesting, because uh, once her tale is finished being told, she reverts back to simply saying, I am lost, which has uh, basically been her catchphrase since her introduction at this point. Now, David wonders, uh, is the point of this story that Cortez murdered Lost's parents? And then he brings up that pesky murder-no-man law, wondering what that might mean for Fabian's future. Well, Kurt says, you know, even if Fabian did kill those people, it was done before the Krakoan laws were laid out. And, well, uh, are you ready for this? Because this is pretty great. Now, Legion responds by rightly pointing out that Sabretooth's murders were also committed before the laws were enacted. If you remember, House of X number one is where the murders took place. I think it was House of X number five or six, where Sabretooth was put on trial, the laws were laid out, and he was thrown in the hole. It's an excellent point, and one that I'll admit I didn't even think about. So that's uh, very, very cool here, and just another instance of this book pointing out inconsistencies in the, uh, the Krakoan hierarchy here. So Legion, he suggests that maybe dear old dad's government might uh, be something less than fair, you think? (laughs) Now, Nightcrawler doesn't really acknowledge this, probably because he voted in favor of Sabretooth's banishment, too. And so, David starts to needle him a little bit more about his philosophy that is definitely not a New Mutant religion, before suggesting that Fabian Cortez will probably be put on a highly publicized trial in order to... uh, well, basically, scare the rest of Krakoa straight, and also potentially serve to unify them. And I mean, everybody hates Fabian, so it's not too difficult to rally an entire people against him. Now, the way Kurt looks at it, they've got to be better than that. And uh, I mean, if we look at it realistically here, that's kind of dicey, no matter how we look at it, right? If, if we can unify a people against one person... I mean, that's all well and good, but I think it's going to start to raise some red flags and, like, well, what happens when, when the person they're, they're pointing at is me? You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to foment fear, but it's also going to keep people in line. It's going to keep people compliant and cooperative. Now, as Lost exits the scene, Dust enters it. Now, Dust is a more recognizable piece of X-Men wallpaper. She hasn't done much in ages, but... Uh, Unlike a lot of her peers, she's pretty instantly recognizable. Now, she's there to cause some sandstorms. She's part of uh, cleanup duty for Mars because the Omega mutants who did the initial terraforming didn't consider the effect of the tides on Mars. And so she wrestles a cloud for a bit. Legion then pieces out to uh, get back with his onslaught study. And uh, he and Nightcrawler both leave, and uh, they leave poor Lost just sitting there warming herself by a fire, all by her lonesome. On Mars, it's very, very sad. Double page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Nightcrawler, Legion, Lost, Dust, Gorgon. Whoa, Gorgon! Wow. Fabian Cortez, Professor X, 
Quan Yin Zorn and Shen Zorn. We pick back up a little bit later on in New York City, and uh, here we see Gorgon completely flipping out. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we're seeing him since his otherworldly death back in X of Tens. Now, his resurrection, as we expected, went a bit caca, so he's all, like, he's all sorts of messed up. Now, he was brought back with his uh, telepathy just a bit too amped up. And uh, by a bit, I mean, this is like schizophrenic Superman levels of being able to hear everybody in the city. And actually, well, let's put a pin in that for a moment, because that's the initial impression that we get here, but it's not exactly the case. You see, Fabian Cortez is sitting on a nearby bench, just enjoying the view. A crowd has gathered, while Gorgon kind of just writhes around like a panicked loon. Now, you got to keep in mind here that Gorgon still has his petrifying peepers and is carrying his god-level swords on his back. Nightcrawler arrives to chat up Fabes and uh, comments how he's not sure what went wrong with Gorgon's resurrection. Which, I thought it was established that Otherworld Resurrectees were going to come back a bit altered. I mean, even Cortez says as much, so does Nightcrawler really not know this? I suppose it's possible he doesn't know, but he really should. Anyway, we and Kurt find out that Gorgon's telepathic sensitivity is actually not due to his resurrection here. He's not amped up, but, well, he is amped up because Cortez is amping it up for him which he is only able to do because of the botched resurrection. Since Gorgon kind of has the mind of a child at this point, he is not... He's more vulnerable, psychically, to, uh, to suggestion and to Fabian Cortez imposing his power on him. Now, Fabian tells Nightcrawler that at this very moment, Gorgon's got eight million New Yorkers screaming their thoughts into his head. And he asks, hey, what do you think happens next? Huh. And he lays out some possibilities. Does Gorgon freak out to the point where he yanks off his mask and petrifies everybody present? And Nightcrawler's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got that kill-no-man law, right? So we can't let this happen. I mean, the kill-no-man law, if you are following along with Way of X, and you should be, uh, now each issue goes into one of the Krakoan laws. So this is Nightcrawler basically... Educating himself and uh, being able to separate, you know, the word of law with the realities of law. And the way that Spurrier is doing this is, is, is fairly phenomenal. So, uh, I mean, if you're not reading this book, you, you really should. And it looks like it's not going to go on much longer. So it's not going to be a uh, huge investment in time or, uh, or money here. So back to the story. Nightcrawler, he's like, he tells Cortez, hey... We can't allow that. And Fabian's all, don't look at me. I'm not going to be the one doing the killing. You see, I'm not going to do the killing, but I'm not going to stop him from doing it either. And there's no law against that. And oof, I I love this book. <laughs> I really, really do. Uh, next up, an info page. This is Dr. Nemesis's field notes here. And it's uh, it's all about Fabian Cortez. And it features uh, a certain four-letter word being redacted six times. Now, if I were to guess, I would suggest that this certain four-letter word starts with a C. Um, considering he's initially referred to as a notorious Krakoan blank. Um, and it ends with sometimes a blank is just a blank. And I don't think he's talking about a cigar. That's not the C word he's talking about. 
Anyway, the gist of this text piece is that Cortez is both a mutant supremacist and a privileged douchebag. Back to comics, and we are at the Green Lagoon, where Professor X and Legion are having themselves a drink. Now, Xavier also hands his son a Krakoan gateway seed that he'd asked for, which we'll see in action a little bit later on. Now, they're surrounded by several B-level movers and shakers of Krakoa, including Dazzler and Dr. Nemesis, DJ, Blink, Loa, and Pixie, Bed- Bedlam? Wow, when was the last time we saw Bedlam? Have we seen him since Counter X, like 20 years ago? Uh, gorgeous George of the Nasty Boys. Believe it or not, forget me not, he's here. Uh, there's some blonde guy. Uh, Erg, the Morlock dude who I always mistaked for Legion back in the day because they have the same hairstyle. We got a bald guy, we got a legacy Hellion, and we got the ever-loving bartending Blob. Now, Legion invited his father here for a chat. Xavier suggests that maybe David doesn't like him so much. He's like, I know you don't like me. And, uh, well, it's just the opposite, actually. David really loves his father. He just hasn't the foggiest idea why he does. Charles removes his Cerebro helmet, which isn't something we see all that often. And I'd almost forgotten what the creep looked like under there. Okay, not really. I mean, we know what he looks like. Now, Charles plays like he gives half a damn about David and asks how he's doing. David's just fine, and the Zorns are helping to keep him that way. Now, Xavier immediately assumes that this means he's taking in some sort of meditation to keep himself steady. And no, 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 that's not the case at all. You see, the gimmick here is the Zorns are to explode David's brain if he were ever to go out of control. And this is all at Legion's request, by the way, which is rather the shock to Xavier. So, Charles gets down to business at this point. You remember that thing that's been detected, the patchwork man, right? It started detecting it right around the time Legion came back. He flat out asks, is this you, son? To which David informs him that, nope, it ain't him. Charles says that this presence is infecting Krakoa, making the people here listless and bloodthirsty, and it's slipping into all the cracks of Krakoan society. Now, David refers to this as the snake in the garden, and how tricking Xavier was the first thing it ever learned to do. Which, I mean, it's Onslaught, so yeah. Now, it's worth noting, and this is spectacularly done here in the juxtaposition between panels, as this psychic chat continues, all the patrons of the Green Lagoon... Well, they start gnashing their teeth, furrowing their brows. It's you know they're filled with fear and hate. I mean, hate and rage, not fear and hate. Um, and it looks like a big old brawl is about to break out. And so David goes to take his leave. Just then, onslaught manifests itself in Xavier, and the bar turns into a brawl scene. Legion then has the Zorns vaporize the entire place rendering all the patrons nothing more than skeletal remains. No worries, though. The five will do their thing, and everything will be hunky-dory again in no time. Let's jump back to New York. By now, Gorgon has yanked his mask off, revealing his petrifying peepers. Only, he's completely in tears at this point, and he's got him clenched shut, so nobody's, nobody's been stoned just yet. It's here where Cortez feels like it's his opportunity to lay things out for Nightcrawler basically giving him a few options as to his next move. One, he can just sit back and watch as all the present New York flat scans turn to stone. Two, 
he can kill Gorgon in hopes that his next resurrection might be a little bit more productive. And, uh, you know, while killing a mutant isn't a no-no in the Krakoan sense, it is still murder. And for a God-fearing man like Kurt, well, that's a problem. Three, he could just stand in front of Gorgon and be stoned himself. Though again, as a man of faith, suicide is among the biggest no-nos. But at least he'll be able to get resurrected. Now, Kurt asks what Cortez's game here is, and uh, what does he have to gain from any of this? And Fabian replies that there is no game going on, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he hasn't actually done anything wrong. As far as gain is concerned, watching some flat scans die while having deniability is reward enough for him. So, what do you think Kurt's gonna do? What is he gonna do? Well, he's actually gonna take a fourth option. He decides to make a spectacle of himself by bamfing right into a nearby ice cream vendor's cart. And he just goes splat right into it and slips all over the ground in the, uh, in the ice cream and finally winds up with a bucket of the stuff over his head. Now, this gets Gorgon to focus on the silliness and start laughing, forgetting all of his troubles. Sometimes silly antics is all it takes to distract a child or, I suppose, someone resurrected with the mind of one. Gorgon reaffixes his mask, and the day is saved. But we're not done here yet. Nightcrawler then grabs Cortez by his hair and tells him that he's got plans for him. And Fabes immediately assumes that he's going to be taken before the council and begs, you know, begs for, begs for Nightcrawler to reconsider. Nah, that's not going to happen today. Today, you're in for something far worse than an audience with the council. You're in for a sit-down conversation with Lost which we'll probably see next time. Now we wrap up with Legion planting that gateway seed, and uh, I'm not entirely sure what happens here. I don't know if he eats it or if he plants it with him in himself. Um, I'm not really sure, but whatever the case, I'm assuming that he's expecting Onslaught to come stomping through it, and uh, I'm assuming we will see that within our next two parts of the story. But that, my friends, is where we leave it. Next time... X-Corp, but we will worry about that then. But for now, let's talk a little bit about Way of X here. And, uh, you know, it's funny. When I think about Way of X, I can think about it from two different points of view here. Um, as a reader and as a fan, I absolutely adore it. I'm going to miss it a lot when it's gone. I absolutely love this book. As someone who talks about comics and writes about comics and analyzes comics... I almost fear that anything I say does the book a disservice because it's just that good. Um, the experience that I have with Way of X, uh, it, it's it's so weird how there's like a disparity between me as the as the reader and me as a fake ass analyst. Because honestly, this is the kind of book where I kind of just want to read it, sit back, and let it have its way with me. <laughs> Not to sound crass or anything, but. It's just a phenomenal book here, and to talk about it, I feel like I'm not doing it any favors. But with that said, let's, uh, well, I guess let's talk about it a little bit here. Um, just, uh, boy, I, I mean, where do you even start with this book? This is just an excellent, excellent book here. And if we look at it at its bare bones, it's fairly procedural, right? Um, each issue is focusing on a different Krakoan law. And, I mean, you would think that this would feel inorganic, you know, it's like, well, the purpose of this one, you know, this the moral of this story, kids, if you gather around, is uh, kill no man. And it doesn't feel like that. It, it feels 
organic. It feels natural. It is just, it's just so well done. And I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot when we talk about Way of X, but Nightcrawler as our point of view character is just, is perfect. It really is perfect here. Um, as we talked about during the synopsis here, we are looking at laws. And we are looking at the word of law versus the reality of law. Having Nightcrawler be the eyes of, of the reader there, we have him who's, who looks at, the, you know, looks at scripture, looks at gospel, and then has to reconcile that with the realities of, you know, walking that path in life. You know, is it something that can happen? Is there a one-to-one comparison between what's written in a text, what's written in a law, and how we conduct ourselves as a people or as a singular person? Is there any such thing as black or white when we deal with uh, the human element? You know, we could talk about things like objectivism. You know, we can go to Steve Ditko's Mr. A. You know, the black and white card here. There are no shades of gray. And I think that this is kind of an examination of that concept here. You know, we have one side of it where it is black or white. You don't break this law, you follow this law. But in reality, things aren't quite that easy. It's not that cut or dry. Fabian Cortez here was he basically was holding New York City hostage here via Gorgon. He wouldn't be the one actually petrifying people or killing people, but would he still be responsible for it? Would he have deniability? Are the laws of Krakoa, are there bylaws? You know, is there subsection 5, you know, uh, paragraph Q? Does that exist? Is there a Krakoan constitution or is it really? A piece of paper or a napkin that says, you know, kill no man, (laughs) respect this sacred land, and make more mutants. Is that all it is? And that simplicity is terrifying because, I mean, you can see the liberties that could be taken. I mean, no pun intended. You could see the liberties that could be taken with such brief laws, right? We've already seen people being given special privileges. You know, certain groups, certain friends of the council are, well, they're given a little bit more rope, right? Um, and Legion points that out here perfectly in that Sabretooth committed his atrocities before the laws were even passed. And I hate relying on the term slippery slope because it can be applied to so many things, but it really is a slippery slope in this situation because, well, how far back do we look? Right? Do we go back to Magneto killing people? Do we go... I mean, Celine was just in a Captain America arc where she was killing people. Do we go back that far? Or do we just we just worry about the, the ones that we want off the board? You know, the simplicity of the laws make it so there's a lot that could be read into. And since we're run by a group, a council, an unelected council who kind of just appointed themselves in these roles... I don't know. They all have their biases. They all have their friendships. They all have their uh, interpretations of what these laws might mean. So it facilitates these laws being read different ways by different people. You know, it's all about the interpretation. It's all about the point of view and the perspective of the person who's doing the analysis. So some of the people in the Quiet Council might see Fabian Cortez as committing the murder and facilitating it, and others might think that he's not, because he's not the one actually killing anybody. And further, it uh, calls into question, what does it mean to reform? In as far as Krakoa is concerned, of course, um, 
Now we see, you know, Mr. Sinister's on the council, uh, Mystique's on the council. We're seeing villains all over the place. Can we look at them as being reformed? Maybe. Maybe in some cases they are reformed. But is there a difference between reforming, as in no longer being evil, and just following the laws of an island that you're living on? I don't know. I don't know. I think that's something that could be explored further, and I hope it is. And I hope I hope Simon Spurrier is the one writing that story, because I think he would be absolutely phenomenal at it. But um, let's see. What else do we have here? The conversation between David and Charles was something I've been looking forward to ever since I saw the cover to this issue uh, in previews a few months ago. This is the uh, This is the scene we wanted to see, you know, and it was handled very, very well. I'm not entirely sure about vaporizing the entire, you know, Green Lagoon. Does that mean Professor X himself was vaporized? I, I really don't know. I, I'm not sure. It wasn't entirely clear there. Because if that were the case, I, I don't see this going away quite as easily. But I suppose, you know, we still have an issue of this series left and the Onslaught special, so I'm guessing it'll be cleared up there. Now let's talk a little bit about the ending of this issue here, which also wasn't entirely clear to me here. It looked as though Legion was taking that Krakoan gateway seed into himself. Whether that's being implanted into his mind or into his body, into his soul, I'm not sure. We did see in the, I believe it was the second issue of uh, Way of X, when Kurt and Pixie entered Legion's brain, when they found his brain um, at that uh, Orcus uh, facility, they went inside, and it was basically bedlam, right? It was a, a city full of different personalities, all, like, rioting. And I wonder if that's where Legion was implanting the gateway seed here, hoping that Onslaught will go into his mind of many legions, which very well might be the case here. Maybe that's how this series is going to end, with Onslaught, you know, stomping through the gateway into Legion's mind, which... I think, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion that um, this series might be setting up Legion as something of a mutant martyr of sorts, wherein, I mean, we've seen the Book of Redacted, right? The Book of Redacted that Nightcrawler is writing his philosophy into. And, you know, I thought it was odd that the name was Redacted, because it's obviously Nightcrawler writing this stuff, right? But I do wonder if this is going to wind up being the Book of Legion After Legion sacrifices himself to take out Onslaught Like he is setting himself up as a mutant messiah, a savior of the people Which I think is, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I hate to lose Legion as a character in the book But I feel like that's an awesome, awesome role for him But for now, that's just a theory and we will... Uh, you know, we'll cross those bridges when we get to them But uh, I think that's all I have to say about this This wonderful issue, this wonderful series for now um, The art was great uh, A little bit unclear in the Green Lagoon And in the last page But everything else I mean, it was still very pretty to look at And uh, everything else made perfect sense to me Overall, it's like I say every time we talk about Hellions If you're not reading this book Read this book <laughs> You will uh, you will thank me and you will thank yourself It's uh, It's just wonderfully done but with all that said, let's hop into the mailbag. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Power Pack 4 and 5. Holy cow, somebody listened to that episode. 
I think that one is still uh, one of the least listened to shows, unfortunately. Anyway, Damien says, Power Pack is one of the most pivotal series in my fandom. I've mentioned before that I was raised on Marvel UK and was introduced to the X-Men via reprints of the original five, but the title I stuck with was Return of the Jedi Weekly, which I picked up from issue 45, which came out uh, the 25th of April, 1984, until it was canceled with issue 155, 6th of June, 1986. This comic would reprint three U.S. comics at a time, split into five to six page chunks, so effectively you would get three monthly books by reading four weekly issues. As this ate up material really quickly, they would reprint two different eras of Star Wars. Issue 45 had a Joe Duffy Ron Friends post-Jedi story and a Carmine Infantino drawn pre-Empire story, as well as a third story. They started with movie adaptations. Uh, Issue 45 had the adaptation of For Your Eyes Only, but eventually they started reprinting Power Pack. This meant I read reprints of Power Packs 1 through 23 in the back of Return of the Jedi. At the time, I was aware that these were reprints of American comics. A neighbor had been on holiday to Disneyland and brought back Dazzler Number no. 4 as a gift for me, as they knew I loved comics. I just didn't know you could get U.S. comics in the U.K. I thought Marvel U.K. was the only route. Return of the Jedi Weekly was canceled because they ran out of material to reprint. The Marvel U.S. book had gone bi-monthly, and the U.K. reprints caught up. Seemingly, they were caught by surprise by this, and the Power Pack reprints ended, ended with the last page of Power Pack No. 23, which was a cliffhanger... That suggested that Katie might have died. At the bottom of the last page, someone had written something along the lines of, look out for the Marvel U.S. Power Pack at your local newsagent to find out what happens next. I took my pocket money and went to the local newsagent, and lo and behold, I found a small pile of U.S. comics. And among them was Power Pack number 22, which, even though I had already read the reprint of it, became the first U.S. Marvel comic I bought myself. And here I am, 35 years later, still buying the things. I consider Power Pack to be my gateway drug to an enduring comics fandom. Because of this, I bought Power Pack Outlawed as it came out, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a shame you didn't get to catch up with Rick and Jeff from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, as it meant you missed some elements of the two books which were set up in the earlier issues. The recaps being in comics related to the fact that Katie wanted to give her parents a comic that revealed that they were Power Pack, but her siblings convinced her not to. The characterization of the four kids is great throughout the series. They deftly deal with the fact that Alex and Julie have been aged up while Jack and Katie remain younger, and they really capture a sibling relationship in the comics. I love the fact that family and friendship are the key building blocks of the story, and and that there's nothing cynical about the setup. They did a really good job of making it feel like the original Simonson setup, while also playing them where the continuity has taken them. I also thought that they were updated to modern day relatively well. I like the fact that the tech speak is solely given to Jack, who wants to be an internet celebrity. It feels like keeping with his tendency to chase coolness from the original stories. I can see how it might irritate you starting your run with issue 4, which is narrated by Jack, but it is a small, characterful part of the series. Overall, this gets a big thumbs up from me. Well, first of all, I really want to thank you for sharing that story here. Those are the kind of stories that always fascinate me. I love, you know, hearing about how people discover certain bits uh, and bobs of the fandom here and what bits and bobs stick with us and uh, don't ever go away. So hearing about you discovering Power Pack in those anthologies and then it blossoming into, uh, you know, what you do now is, uh, is fantastic to hear. And yeah, it would have been really cool to hook up with the Power Pack guys there. We were on a live stream together a couple weeks before I did this episode, and we talked about uh, doing something together, and 
probably due to the fact that I'm really bad at scheduling things. It just didn't come together, unfortunately. But uh, definitely a missed opportunity. And uh, yeah, I certainly missed out on a little bit of the context, or probably a lot of the context, of what brought us to the fourth issue of Power Pack. Now, for the two issues that I did read, um, I think the way you uh, the way you lay it out is pretty apt. You know, it's not cynical. It's uh, it's you know what I've been. It's a phrase that I've been using a lot in the Essential series. It's uh, silly but fun. You know, I had a really good time with it, and I don't regret taking the detour. I just wish uh, I wish more folks cared about the story. I, I really do. But thank you so much for sharing your experience with Power Pack and your thoughts on this story, Damien. Next up, we got Meal, who's given their uh, State of the Union on Children of the Atom. Now, Meal says, I've only read the latter half of Coda, so I'll apologize if the first half is the best writing since Claremont. Nothing to apologize for. Mm-mm. <laughs> Coda was meh. And the character who was actually a mutant, whose name I should probably remember, I have forgotten. Whoops. That's funny you say that. Uh, as I was doing the script for issue, I believe it was five, of uh, Children of the Atom... I could not, and I still cannot, remember Cherub's real name. So I, I'm, I remember writing the scene where he was laying down with the, uh, with the, the towel over his face, where he was recovering from his fight with, uh, the, with the, the whoever they were, who were they? The U-Men. <laughs> That's who they were. And he was laying on the floor at uh, whoever's house with a washcloth over his face. And I could not remember his real name, and I still can't remember his real name. And I was so annoyed at the fact that I didn't, you know, I, I like we should be able to know who these characters are five issues in. And the fact that I don't know his name, that might be an indictment on me. But at the same time, it's like we we should just know. We really should. So I, I refused to look it up. <laughs> I didn't go to the wiki or anything like that. It's just like, okay, I'm just gonna call him Cherub, <laughs> no matter what. Uh, Meal continues. This story was bland. was just as impactful on the main Krakoa story as the Juggernaut mini without having any characters we formally know or care about. The biggest plus is that it really highlighted how well David Curiel is at drawing a range of dark skin tones. X-Corp can't say the same. And you are 100% right on X-Corp. Um, I've already read uh, the issue we'll be covering next episode here, and the coloring is absolutely not great. Um... Now, the Juggernaut story, yeah, that didn't have much to do with Krakoa. There were bits and pieces of it, and honestly, we probably would have never covered it if they didn't include it in the uh, Coming Soon page back in the long ago. I kind of just didn't think it was a big deal at all. I didn't even order it from DCBS. Uh, I figured it would be a story that I wasn't going to want to read, and I didn't think it had anything to do with Krakoa until I found out that it Sorta, kinda, maybe, sorta did <laughs> not, not so much But enough to where I was happy that we covered it And it was a fun little story, all the same So uh, happy that we took that uh, juggernaut detour Meal continues I'm really sad that the kids aren't all mutants I've always been a fan of the X-Men when it's focused around a group of kids Which is one thing the new status quo is kind of missing New mutants, while good, isn't really what I'm talking about in this regard And also, I find Buddy and Gimmick's new relationship kind of sad, because I know they probably aren't going to flesh it out. And as it stands, while I'm really happy we we have, like, one lesbian relationship in the X-Line, I personally don't care for either of the characters or the relationship as a whole. Just get Rachel and Betsy or call me Kate and Ileana together instead. And you're right, we really don't have the uh, the Teen Titans book of the X-Line right now, do we? And I usually compare... 
whatever they're doing in New Mutants right now to what they do with the New Teen Titans all the time over at DC. You know, where it's like, okay, we have the iconic Titans characters, right? Uh, Nightwing, Starfire, uh, Donna Troy, Changeling, or Beast Boy, uh, Cyborg, Raven. You know, we've got that core group that people go back to, the, uh, the Perez and Wolfman Teen Titans. And then they come back because DC can't figure out what to do with them. So they bring them back, and it's like, okay, what are they going to do? Well, we're going to mentor the youth of uh, the DC universe. And they keep telling that same story over and over and over again. We got it right now in Teen Titans Academy, where it's like, we have the young characters who are being trained by the older characters. Every time they relaunch a Titans book, we get a book like that. And while that's not a terrible thing in uh, theory, it feels like uh, diminishing returns, especially over at DC, because it's... The same thing over and over. And sometimes the students are the same exact ones that they've already trained in different volumes. So really doesn't give you a whole lot of uh, feeling of progression. But here over in uh, in Marvel and on Krakoa, we've got the legacy New Mutants training this next generation in the Wild Hunt and you know Warpath, the gym teacher teaching the kids how to work in tandem. We have that, right? But the focus is still definitely on the legacy characters. We're getting the bits and pieces of, like, the Shadow Kings are regulars right now with Anne Olay and the gang, where, sure, there's a little bit of a focus on the younger, the kid characters, but the book still definitely belongs to the uh, legacy New Mutant characters. Not that I'm advocating for there to be another series, because the line is bloated enough as it is, but maybe, you know, if there was an X-Men Unlimited that came back, I can't believe I'm pushing for X-Men Unlimited. What happened to me? Um, I just think that's an opportunity to tell some of those stories, I guess, without doing a... Uh, without giving an entire series to a concept that might not be able to shoulder it. And, uh, I mean, that's going to go right to uh, Meal's next point. Meal says, Overall, a misstep that should have never been dedicated to its own series. And... Again, I agree. Um, while the concept is moderately interesting, you know, having mutant uh, fans pretending to be mutants find out that one of them actually is, I think there's stuff you could do with that. I, I don't know that it's going to get fully explored the way I would like it to. I would like to see conflict. You know, I want to see Buddy, who is like the biggest mutant fan in the world, I'd like to see Buddy jealous of Carmen. You know, I want to see that kind of thing. I don't know if we're going to, though. There just isn't enough pages left for that sort of thing. But if there were an X-Men Unlimited (laughs) that this could pop up in every once in a while, we could see stuff like that. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, Meal wraps up with, So until Jubilee has a character trait outside of Shogo, (laughs) be mine X left. And yeah, that hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, Jubilee. What happened to Jubilee? Used to be such a fun character. Now it's just... The Shogo Carrier. That's all That's all she's become, unfortunately. But uh, thank you so much for writing in your thoughts on Kota and the Kota Kids there, Meal. I always look forward to hearing your takes. Now that's the mailbag, but uh, this is a Monday episode, so let's take a look at this week in X here. We have uh, not a big week. Not a big week uh, both on Unlimited and on the shelves here. It's a very quiet week for uh, the X books here. Now, on Marvel Unlimited, as you're listening to this, you could get, uh, well, maybe you should just skip it. Maybe you should just not open your apps here. Um, Way of X number two and Wolverine number 12. Those are your X-lapsed Unlimited books this week. 
uh, on shelves this Wednesday. Uh, it's also moderately quiet here. Um, one big book, which is... You would think it's a huge X-Men book, but uh, I don't know that it's going to be wholly related to what we talk about here. It's Cable Reloaded number 1, which is, of course, part of the Last Annihilation storyline. We got Wolverine number 15, and we have Marvel's Voices Identity, the uh, anthology one-shot that we'll be taking a Just the X-Men look at uh, sometime during the middle or end of September, really all depending on when I get my DCBS package next month. So look forward to that. That's uh, what we've got coming. Now, one last thing before we split, I want to hit some shout-outs here. Folks who were kind enough to hit the heart, the thumbs-up, or the little swirly thing on uh, the social media machines to uh, help spread the word about the show. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Pat Sampson, Chris Bailey, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Professor Frenzy, Dave Schultz, Billy D, Joe Crawford, Jeremiah, Ed Moore, Jesse DeYoung, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, the Between the Pages blog, Crummy Thick, and Jeffrey Brown. Thank you all so much for helping to spread the word on the show. Then over on Facebook, I want to thank Pat Sampson, Andrew Franklin, Billy D, Jesse DeYoung, Jean-Paul Thibodeau Scott, and you notice I- I'll thank Jeremiah a lot, but I very seldom say his last name because he's told me how to say his last name several times. It's a, it's either Goldstein or Goldstein. You'll have to help me out there, Jeremiah, because I know you've told me, and I always say it wrong, and I never know which one it is. I have to, I have to start spelling your name out phonetically. So uh, I apologize if I'm saying your name wrong here, because that's why I usually just say Jeremiah. But over on Facebook, Jeremiah and his brother Jacob both Helped out the show, so I'd like to be able to say their last name So, uh, guys, if you can let me know how to say it I will do my best not to forget this time Also, uh, Walt Nealon, Joe Crawford, and Evan Bevins Thank you all so much for noticing my nonsense and helping to get the word out It really, really means a lot to me But uh, that's all we've got for today Um, Now, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics You could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, where we're still talking about what might be uh, next to come after our head of X uh, takes his leave. So I'd love to I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on that. So uh, feel free to join us at 90s X-Men on Facebook. Finally, for all the Chris and Reggie archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which is available anywhere the internet aggregates noise. Well, that will do it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for letting me spend a little bit of time with you. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.